from Central Sauce and the Fifth Element Podcast Network, this is In Search of Sauce, a celebration of writers who are saving music journalism from death by clickbait. Hi, I'm Tyler Jones. This is my first time hosting and also a regular writer for the discovery section of Central Sauce. First off, we'd like to have Brandon introduce himself. How's it going, guys? Uh, Brandon Hill, managing editor at Central Sauce. Um, I don't really have much to promote myself, just some why we like it. It's on some discovery music, uh, but also I wrote a blurb on MF Doom for Ryan's newsletter, Post Maelstrom, uh, where he put together a bunch of blurbs from a bunch of different writers, um, and it's a really, really good read. It's really really interesting to get all those different takes from people so check that out and you can subscribe to my my newsletter uh through the link in my bio on twitter at hoopla hill and ryan yeah this is ryan gore uh right at central source uh i feel like i come on here every time and say i haven't done much recently but i'm working <laughs> on stuff you know but <laughs> i promise i actually am working <laughs> on stuff um but yeah please check out my why we like it on justy's um what's it called now Rinse, Repeat, Regress. Uh, so why I like it. I really love that song. So yeah, one of my favourite why I like it's I've done recently. And yeah, um, I just want to say thank you to everyone who um, uh, contributed to my Doom dedication. It took a few months to get out, but I'm really glad with the um, the final product. It, uh, yeah, it was really beautiful. And people gave me some really good stories. And it just felt like a bunch of people just discussing their favourite things about Doom, what Doom meant to them. And yeah, if you like Doom, first of all, check out the episode we did on Doom at the start of the year. And yeah, check that out on Post Maelstrom. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and I, it's, it's been a minute, but we, I'm also going to have back our regular playlist, Season Sauce, next week. Look forward to that and a lot of good music coming your way, guys. So this episode is a special one, guys. This is a video game music-themed episode. Uh, the reason we are doing this is for a while now, especially the three of us, we've really talked about music on this, uh, music video games a lot on the side, and how it's, a, it's an important year for video games this year, especially Pokemon and their <laughs> anniversary, 25 years. That is as, as old as I am. Which Ryan also wrote a good newsletter post on the 25-year anniversary of Pokemon. So check that out, Post Maelstrom. <laughs> Please, always, and no shameless plugs here. They're just plugs. Accept them. Please. <laughs> so instead of what have we been listening to, I want to ask you guys, what is your favorite video game or piece of video, um, video game music? So I think... Uh, those who read the newsletter know that Pokemon Emerald is pretty much up there. Um, so yeah, Gen 3 Pokemon, I feel like they just got everything right. They got everything right. And the music is just gorgeous to me. Uh, they use a lot of horns on that album. It's made it just sound massive all the time. And Pokemon, it just has that sense of adventure that so many games try to capture but there's something about the innocence of Pokemon Emerald mixed with that adventure that is just unique and 
Yeah, so Pokemon Emerald's definitely up there. Little Root Town theme forever is going to just demobilize me for four hours whenever I hear one note of it. Um, but yeah, um, and I'll get into another video game that I really love. Uh, it's soundtrack that I really love later in the episode. But I'll also shout out uh, Mario Galaxy because I just think that's a, yeah. that is a, um, a landmark for video game music, I feel. Just having a full orchestra packed into a Wii game <laughs> is just amazing. And yeah, Gusty Garden Galaxy is just... I feel like, to me, personally, that's as iconic as the original Super Mario Bros. theme, like World 1-1. Like, Gusty Garden Galaxy is just as iconic. So yeah, shout out those two games. Yeah, and I'm going to go... Brandon. I'm going to go with, as far as like classic video game soundtrack, I'm going to do Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Uh, which will be interesting because we're going to talk about when we talk about Zelda later and how they've changed the soundtrack for Breath of the mm-hmm. Wild. And Ryan, I know you haven't played the past, like the old Zelda games, right? Yeah, I've heard Long Long Ranch though because it's in Breath of the Wild. <laughs> yeah, so it'll it'll be kind of interesting. I, I definitely <laughs> I definitely want to talk about like the differences in the soundtracks because you know the original Zeldas and like especially Ocarina of Time were like one of their staples that made them such masterpieces was the very like specifically crafted themes for, like, each area of the game. And I know, in particular, I always loved the, uh, oh, it's not Clock Town, because that's Majora's Mask. Like, Gerudo Village, or whatever, it's the little town uh, that leads up to Death Mountain before you go to, like, the Goron place. And even the Goron theme is amazing. But uh, it'll be interesting to kind of talk about some of those details there. Um, Games I've been playing recently, or actually another soundtrack thing to mention would be the Hollow Knight soundtrack. And, Ryan, I know I got you on playing Hollow Knight. (laughs) But I got the piano compilations of the hollow knight themes so it's like all the themes from the game but played only on piano and i do just love something about like video game theme that keeps like the simplicity of like just a piano because there's this whole and you can see this in the hollow knight soundtrack a lot you can see like how how someone with like one instrument just like one piano in front of them can capture so many different like environments and moods and feelings and like how they can change all of that in so many different ways by just composing on a piano without the addition of even like the strings and the brass, which, you know, typically annotates like big dramatic moments, like, okay, yeah, throw in the brass, like big triumphant moments, like, yeah, bring in the strings. But when you do it with just a piano, how you can still somehow summon that same energy by just changing the way that you're playing rather than changing the sounds that you're including. Yeah, Todd, how about you? For me, um, I am also a Pokemon guy through and through. Uh, I'm, that last Pokemon announcement has gotten me super hype. But if you're talking about favorite soundtrack, honestly, the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon games have a very underrated soundtrack and just quality pieces of music. But if we're and but if we're talking about a, a song, Kingdom Hearts, Hikara Utara Utara, excuse me, uh, Simple and Clean, is resonates something with my childhood that can never be explained. Also, it is just absolutely gorgeous piece of music. I haven't. Yeah, it, that that is that is me. I haven't played Kingdom Hearts, but I always hear really good stuff about the soundtracks and like how. They carried like dramatic energy really well. It's it's they know levels very very well, and being able to intensify or just give a very 
sad sentimental sentimental moments because like the it's the series itself is pretty sad it's a lot of it is really just a bunch of a series of sad events happening <laughs> yeah also in that same in that same vein one i can't believe i didn't think to mention is the halo soundtracks and in particular like the master chief theme like not mm-hmm. like nothing carries such sadness like mm-hmm. as as the end of halo 3 when that master chief theme plays Mm-hmm. And uh, before we transition, All right. before we transition, I forgot. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I have to mention Mario sixty four because we're talking about do, iconography do, and video game do, music. Do, 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 do. Mario sixty four is like inside the castle walls. Um, die die docks. Like, are you joking? Uh, Bomb on battlefield, just insane. Like we were talking about Mario Galaxy having an its orchestra on the um, on a game, and that being a huge thing. Like the sounds that they were playing with on Mario sixty four is just another, like another step up for video games. Not only was it like a big leap for three D video games, but the music as well. And yeah, and uh, before we go any further into the episode, Tyler, do you want to tell us about something we going got going on, April tenth? Yes, as some may know, but like for all of our listeners now, that big announcement we had, Saucefest one point boom boom on April tenth on. On Twitch, you'll get to see some amazing artists that we've gotten to interview who are making big waves by breaking out of the algorithm. So stay tuned, guys. And just also subscribe to the Central Sauce mailing list to keep up with everything that's happening. Yeah, go to, yeah, if you go to the Central Sauce Twitter account, um, you'll find the link to subscribe literally all over like everything we've been tweeting. It should be in our pinned tweet, I believe. But yeah, if you sign Mm -hmm. up, you'll get a reminder. Uh, coming up so you don't miss the festival and you know we're just really excited to bring you guys these artists from our discovery section that we've you know hand curated uh based on you know how much we love the art how much we love the people making it and how much you know we really want to bring that to listeners and to viewers through an unfiltered platform that's just very much like here are these indie artists that you know you might have a lot of trouble finding their music or hearing their music and we're going to pull them out and we're going to bring them to you you know in the best way possible that we can and put that show together yeah and this is the definition of a passion project for us like we have loved planning it we're loving the rollout and we're loving talking to these artists working with them and yeah just the day is going to be amazing for all of us and we hope we can communicate that energy to you and that you reciprocate that energy. So, yeah. Come yeah, and there will there will even be a special episode or maybe a two-parter of In Search of Sauce coming where um, we've spoken with all these artists and we've just, you know, gotten a bit of banter, got to know them a bit. So look forward to that. You uh, excited for you guys to get to know them as well. There's some truly unique individuals and some really great conversations we've been having. So, so break out of the algorithm. April 10th. Break out the algorithm. On Twitch. All right, and with that being said, let's get into it. Our first article today is brought by moi. Video game music. A World to Escape to by Dylan Yono for Michigan Daily. I brought this article to the roundtable because it really explains everything as much as at least to me how important video game music is on just what it does to you on the on the music level right it 
it breaks down each thing of like, oh, if you if why it has this, these lo-fi elements, why it has the why it has these melodies, and how it captures the hearts of so many people. And Yono also does a great job sequencing the article by going on their own their one their personal why how they found their own personal love for it, how they re, how they resurfaced that love, how they got involved, and the creators behind it, and ultimately what it means to so many people. And we talk about we talk a lot about word choice. I think the word the choice of wording here in this article, it felt so familiar, like you're talking to somebody, but still was very informative. Uh, I, I one of it also had some really good quotes, uh, and I'm gonna go through them all later. But just to say one real quick before I get y'all's thoughts, is when they were talking about how modern video game music is kind of like breaking the tradition uh one of the people they interviewed potter was saying i don't see it as a tradition that's dying i see it as a tradition tradition that's reinventing itself almost we're just entering an era where all these kinds of styles can be blended now blending the old with the new which is something music does all the time just bring it into the digital world so with that being said ryan what were your thoughts on this article Oh, I relate to this thing like crazy. <laughs> like si- since the pandemic began, I've been like going back and rediscovering old tracks from games we used to play, and like as the article talks about, it's a just a different type of comfort that comes from it. And it's funny because just the other just yesterday, I think was the one year anniversary of um, Animal Crossing: New Horizons, and that kind of marks the beginning of the pandemic. And it's weird listening to the main theme from that. The like that <laughs> makes me nostalgic, even though it was a year ago, <laughs> and it was just this weird. It was a long time. year. It's that it's, it's been year. a very long year. <laughs> but um, even though it's like a really weird, confusing time, it kind of speaks to the warmth that video games just radiate. Like during the whole pandemic, we've sought this collective nostalgia, like the warmth that emanates from being in a better place and sometimes that's our past or sometimes that's the new world where you get to move to this island and just build a town with a bunch of cats you know (laughs) 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 and like the act of living in that has kind of become a new way to relate to people as he kind of talks about in this piece like he talks about the youtuber um vapid bobcat great name he talks he makes these like video game music compilation videos which invokes nostalgia and he talks about the community around that and how people are getting through the pandemic because of that and then he goes on to talk about um someone at the michigan uni who has made a video game music club where people get to make video games and come together and do that and then he talks about 8-bit theory he's a youtuber i really enjoy so it was great to see him pop up in this but um how he discusses music theory behind video game music and makes it really really fun and the way he makes all these things feel like consequences of each other and feel like part of one big community. And the way he, when writing this piece, he blends those different worlds into one. I thought it was just brilliant. So, yeah, I thought it didn't do a great job, this piece. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's specifically, too, with that Animal Crossing thing. There's an interesting distinction between the way that music can be used to deal with reality and video games can be used to escape reality. And how, you know, video game music 
can sort of bridge the two. Because a lot of times, like, with music, you know, that's it's music draws on, like, real emotion. It draws on real circumstance. It draws on real life. And so usually, like, with music, you're sort of listening to it and processing things and dealing with things in a in a real context. But video games provide relief through escapism. They provide relief through taking you away from your problems, through taking you away from, like, the context of the real world. And now, of course, video games can be used to make commentary on the real world as art, but the music, instead of, like, giving you, like, a sort of, like, processing power for what's going on, the music of the video game kind of takes you back to being the character of the video game or being in that video game world. Um, and Yano really like demonstrated that for me personally right out of the bat by referencing that um, song from Sonic Adventure Battle 2, the Pumpkin Hill theme Dude. from the Knuckles level. Because the first thing I saw, like when I read that, I was like, oh my God, I haven't heard that in so long. Clicked on that blue link so fast and then was like <laughs> listening to that. And it immediately just took me back to like, being 10 years old with a GameCube controller and doing, like, PvP Sonic gym hunt battles and just jamming out to that Pumpkin Hill song. It, so it's interesting, like, how that applied, like, an immediate relieving effect without having to do anything with the context of what's going on in the world, without having to do any processing of, like, you know, whatever difficulties that I'm processing, whatever difficulties that I'm having personally... It, it, it had nothing to do with processing any of those, but it was a jump back into that world, into that childhood. And I, I just it's interesting to me like how that's a different interaction than what I have when I like listen to to new music or even like listening to music that has a nostalgic effect, like old Kid Cudi albums. Like they have a nostalgic effect on me, but they still take me back to like, oh, that's right. Like Man on the Moon really helped me get through like mm. difficulties in junior high. But when I go back to the Pumpkin Hill theme, you know, I'm not thinking about the struggles that 10 year old me was processing. I'm thinking about like just jamming out and playing GameCube with my brothers. Yeah, it's that it's like, as I said, it's the ultimate escapism. Because you're blending that nostalgia. What's nostalgia within itself, to me, is already escapism because you're already leaving a moment presently to like go back to a better time in your head. And now you have video game music, v or VGM as that's shortened to, to heighten that experience. Um, and also something that I found interesting, once because like, once again, I think the sequencing of this article is great because it goes from like interest to understanding to history back to interest and why it's important and it just blend, it just blends it all together really well and also wonderful note is how japanese the 80s japanese music once again after our last podcast episode is back in the forming of the melodies and harmonies that really inspired mario and zelda yeah and i'm really glad he introduced the um the historical aspect of it and he talked about the influences that came from it but something that I've always been fascinated with is having to fit music on the cartridge. You know, I had never even to... thought about that before. Yeah. I'd never even thought yeah. about it. And until the way he, he describes it's it. so amazing. It's so like, like how, how it shapes the music, which exactly. then in turn, like, so, so like mm -hmm. basically like for listeners who haven't read the article, there is a real like practical issue with getting music onto cartridges with low 
you know, with low memory and stuff like that. And it's usually done by not storing an entire song or, you know, you don't literally store the soundtrack in the old cartridge and then the game just pulls the song out and plays it. It's done in like an 8-bit way, which you read in the article, it's much more specific, but it's done in a more mechanical way that it sort of like plays the music from the sound chip and what they discovered, the people who are making the music for these games, like the mechanical aspects of that pose so many challenges for creating music by changing the way certain things sound, by limiting the... He, he used an analogy where he compared it to basically like playing the music but only having a keyboard with three keys or something like that was a similar analogy. And so how those mechanical aspects limited the way that the music could sound but then that in itself creates a charming feeling to that like 8-bit feeling that then inspires music being made for video games in the future even outside of the mechanical limits which is always just like the evolution of technology and culture and like what people want from music and what people want from sounds and how that's derived from like the access to technology that they have is always just like so interesting to me how those things grow and change. Yeah, and what the thing I found really interesting about that was the line you said says um, something about restrictions breeding creativity. It's like they mm-hmm. had to make short loops for each stage, you know? So how could they make it, one, catchy, two, make it not annoying, Right. Catchy and not annoying is a huge thing. <laughs> and it has to feed into everything, right? Like, if you say, okay, I only have this amount of space for um, music, that means the uh, music's going to loop this many times if the level is this long. So if the level goes on too long and it's too difficult, people are going to get sick of this sound because they're going to be dying and they're going to associate the feeling of dying in the game with this music. But if we make it a good, like... Uh, difficulty level they'll associate it in a positive way because it would be the music that was playing when they overcame this challenge and that's something uh, Miyamoto who invented Mario has always talked about like first thing it's like the thing I want first in video games is a sense of accomplishment and I think it's because of that Mm -hmm. prerogative why the Mario music is so iconic it's because people fed in love with that music because the feeling that came along with it of accomplishment kind of fed into it so i thought that was a really cool um connection that i made from what he was talking about in the article yeah i mean think about like when you die in mario it's like dun, 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 and i'm like it's not sad it's <laughs> yeah. it, it's actually quite cheery even though i was still pissed off whenever i did die but it's but it didn't make me as mad if it was like a more somber theme it actually motivated me to keep like it actually motivated me to keep going um the and just talking about the intricacies and the melodies that i was like so it was another thing that he was saying how like it was the 80s and 90s japanese pop fusion with american jazz i thought knowing that it was jazz that that did it i was like i was like i made sense when it when he put it all together but i was like it still rung so weird to me when i heard that i was like jazz not not pop not rock jazz and it's, that really influenced the pop music for these games. And it's super interesting, like, what the style of jazz that comes in is, right? Because it's... So in the 8-bit, like we talked about, they have the mechanical limitations of making the music. And then in once the 70s, later 80s hit, and the technology starts to evolve, 
then, you know, the 80s music producers in Japan are being inspired by the 70s funk and jazz of Americans. So mm-hmm. it's they're you know, they're going back a decade to older American music. But now they're not limited by the 8-bit technology. They've gone forward in the technology, but their two inspirations are the previous decade of American jazz music and the 8-bit style of music. So they take yeah. that 8-bit twist to 70s jazz music, but do it with the new technology. And that creates this whole thing that, like with the music of Zelda, seems so far from jazz because of you know the cross-section of the 8-bit inspiration and the mechanical limitations. It was... And there was this other quote that he gave, which just just to that, and it was Ryan was saying earlier, he said, there's something comforting about playing the original Sonic the Hedgehog or The Legend of Zelda. They're not realistic or immersive video games, yet those are the worlds I want to dive into most when I'm fed up with life. There's universal comfort in a world bound by limitation. Maybe there's comfort in music bound by limitation too. And I thought that was just brilliant. I would like literally said everything that needed to be said about like how the 8-bit style and how these quote-unquote simple compositions are literally a soundtrack to so many people's lives. Yeah, it is a fascinating history that video game music has and the legacy that it has. Um, It's just so wholesome in a way. Like People just fell in love with these essentially music that was made out of necessity. Music that had to be compressed and compressed to hell to fit on these cartridges that had to fit, <laughs> you know, these huge games on them. Um, but the the, pe- the fact that people found charm in that, I think that's so wholesome. Like, it could have gone so the other way. Especially when the video game industry was on the brink of just collapse. Um, I think it was late 80s. I yeah, think. before, like, prior to the Nintendo console. There's a, yeah, yeah. There's a really before great the NES, documentary yeah. on that, too, actually, <laughs> called High Score. If anyone's looking for a video documentary on Netflix, it's called High Score. It's really, really good. Um, I need to watch that. I've been really wanting to watch that. Episode three, they do a whole episode on like the evolution of role playing games, like RPGs. Mm. That was my favorite episode of the whole season because those are kind of like my favorite style of games. But back back to the piece, (laughs) there is a inherently like journalistic nerd thing that I have to touch on in this piece, and it's fact that like I love the structure of it. And it's incredible that the way this piece is structured exists, right? So mm-hmm. if you, you look at the publication, it's um, the Michigan Daily, right? So this is a local newspaper. This is not an outlet that's writing a story on video games to an international audience online. This is a local newspaper. It's the Michigan Daily. And it starts off with this beautiful personal anecdote. So I'm like, okay, I'm in essay mode, right? We're going to an essay about this person's experience with video game music. But then, you know, you get several graphs into it, like three, four, maybe even five graphs into the story before they bring in the local angle. And I'm just imagining, like, as a writer myself or even, like, as an editor, having a writer, like, bring this story to me, like, burying the local angle four or five paragraphs in is not something that you normally do in a local newspaper setting. So this editor, you know, for this story to happen, the personal anecdote with the writer had to be that strong that it goes in front of the local angle and then throughout the piece. So you need not not only like do you have this local um, at the school that the writer goes to, 
you have a club at the school dedicated to video game music, right? That is a story in itself that you could start with, like, at the local university, this video game music club does this, and then you go into your interviews. That is the story in itself. But you then have a writer who has this personal connection to video game music who could have wrote the essay separate from the local angle, but they bring their own inspiration and their own anecdotal experience on video game music into this other story on the local video game outlet. And they combine them and they format them into this like anecdotal wave of history and personal relevance and with this look like through this local club and then also branch it out to an international standing by going to YouTube to get interviews with YouTubers who have brought like online communities into this video game sphere. So like even even just like the way that the structure of this piece exists is super, super interesting when you think about like how local news works and how stories are framed for consumption by readers. Damn. Can you tell that Brandon went to journalism school? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, actually, I would never be able to tell. It's, he, sometimes he just, I think he just, this was all self-study, right? All self-study. Of course, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then um, Ryan, I wanted but, to hear specifically from you two on um, when mm. we were, like, so talking about how they adapt the sound with new technology, but they mm. also, like, pay homage to the old sound. They specifically mentioned Celeste, Celeste in the story, Celeste. which is this sort of new wave of, like, indie games who have the technological capability to use new platforms, use new things, do all this, like, you know, use this new technology in game development. But indie developers are going back to this sort of 8-bit style. They're going back to the 8-bit sounds, not because they have to, but because they want to and because they want to take the old art medium and take it to new places. And I know you specifically have loved Celeste, so I would like to hear, you know, a bit about what you think about the music of Celeste and especially in regards to, like, how it is a new adaptation of the old limitations. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so the whole aesthetic of, of, of Celeste, if you're not familiar, is that it's like a 2D, uh, 16-bit style in terms of the um, character models, the sprites, and then mixed with, like, uh, 3D backgrounds, essentially. And I feel like, and uh, the main theme of Celeste is about mental health. It's about dealing with mental health and the... The game is about this girl trying to climb a mountain. And um, that's kind of like the metaphor for overcoming mental struggles. And um, so what's interesting about the music is that they went for a very spacey sound where... I'm trying to put this right. Where it's the right mix of comforting and adventurous. Because at the end of the day, it's a game... You want to get pumped for it in some way. And it wants to feel like it's a big kind of... What's the word? Like, odyssey almost. Shout Mario. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they kind of mix it with the kind of a sounds of comfort that would be... That video game players would associate with comfort. Which is that 8-bit, 16-bit era. So that's kind of my um, roundabout way of saying, like... That's how it mixes the old and new styles. It's 
a game about finding comfort, but also overcoming your past struggles. So yeah, yeah, I like I like this piece just for the way that it encompasses like the development of video game music and just what video game music means to listeners as a whole. It was the great starter piece to our podcast today. And real quick, any more ending statements before we move on? No. There's so there's so many other games I want to talk about, but I know we can't just like go off on a whole <laughs> bunch of different tangents. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I'll probably uh, this is my last statement before we move on, and this I just want to end it with the last paragraph, which was like two or three sentences from the article. Video game music is more than just one of the greatest forms of of escape escapism. It's a medium that has borne melodic masterpieces from the minds of world class musicians. It's an artist alley uniting an impassioned community. It is a grand avenue for a great escape. And with that, that is Video Game Music, A World to Escape To, written by Dylan Yono for Michigan Daily. And as we go to our next piece, as introduced by Ryan. Yeah. So if you thought we talked too much about Nintendo already, <laughs> <laughs> just wait, just wait. Okay. So Tyler kind of said at the start why I wanted to do this piece. It's because we love video games, right? But another reason in the, I guess, a more uh, objective sense of this podcast, it kind of gives us the opportunity to talk about music in a space outside of the music industry, right? outside of the traditional release of albums and singles. And that leads to this video about sound design, particularly the sound design in my favourite game, uh, The Legends of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And the video is called Invisible Sound Design in Breath of the Wild on YouTube by Scruffy. So sound design is a... I have a bit of a spiel here, so very very me. <laughs> <laughs> sound design is a discipline that like takes a lot of talent and intelligence because like I was saying earlier, like a chime that's meant to be satisfying can be really close to being annoying. And something that's meant to sound like a, like a door opening or something can like be s- just the slightest touch away from being completely different like in terms of its sound. So it's really an art form in itself, like almost like a cousin of traditional music releasing. And like to design chimes and effects around general music, like a general music backdrop the game already has, and have it all forget to get, fit together nicely is like, a huge, huge talent. And this video by Scruffy showed me not just what an intricate job sound design is, but how intricate the developers of Breath of the Wild wanted it to be. Like the extra steps they took to make it more immersive and more intricate. And Scruffy does an amazing job of taking these little things that the developers do and expanding them so you can see their purpose, how they show the love of the developers, and how they subliminally like subliminally make you more immersed in the game. And he always makes you feel like these weren't things that they had to do. Like these weren't basic requirements. These are things they did anyway, just to love the game more, basically. And just alongside these beautiful animations that Scruffy does, like this thing's really, really cool to watch. Uh, He talks about the invisible details of the game. So the effects that you can hear that you basically hear so often that your mind basically forgets that they're there. Like those things, 
those things are the things that become subliminal straight away. Like, Breath of the Wild is a huge game that you can spend a lot of time running around this area. So the sound of Link's footsteps are gonna you're gonna get you're gonna tune them out at some point. Because you're gonna be focused on the music or some mountain in the distance you wanna go climb or something else, right? But it's those it's that place those places where there's so much little detail that you would never notice. And um the things that he specifically points out and explains take a massive amount of knowledge and talent for explaining these complex things in simple ways and knowing the music the theory behind them. But some of them are so minuscule that it's incredible that he even noticed them, like to begin with. So yeah, before we, so I'll let you guys I'll throw it to you guys so you can get into more specifics. So yeah, Brandon, what did you think of this video? Yeah, so when what you're talking about with like <clears throat> invisible sound design has a lot to do with like the immersion you know the sound design affects the immersion in the game which then affects the escapism which as we we talked about like you know with video game music the reason that like video game music has so much love attached to it is the escapism because it puts you back into the game you know it, it re-brings up those feelings of playing the game and escaping into the game and it's tiny, tiny little things in sound design can ruin that, can throw that off. You know, a door's closing sounds unnatural. Uh, Link's footsteps sound, you know, there's no difference in his footsteps moving from sand onto ice or something like that. You know, if there's no difference there, there's a lack of immersion. But because of Breath of the Wild being this whole, like, sandbox concept game where it's it's less, it feels less like a like a video game with levels than it does feel like you are just dropped off into this world and you have to figure out how the physics work. You have to figure out how to solve puzzles using the environment. And like, there's a thousand different ways to manipulate everything based on your equipment and based on the type of material it is. And the core piece of that has to be immersion, you know, for everything in the world to make sense in the world the way it does it has to sort of follow certain rules and sound being one of those things like one of the details he points out that's absolutely just insane in the in the video is that every single object has a different sound when you drop it in water because it has different gravity it has different density it has a different shape you know it has a, a different way that it interacts with surface tension when it hits the water and that level of immersion comes from just a purely like physics standpoint or even as he mentions um the chemistry there is chemistry in the sound and it's about it's about the way that things combine because in breath of the wild you know there's a thousand different ways that things can be done different ways right and you can't just have two sounds for all those thousands of different ways. He even talks about fire. Like a campfire has a different sound than what a torch sounds like, right? And even in even in that there's or like the fire arrow. A fire arrow has a specific sound. And then a fire arrow has another specific sound for when it's shot into water because there's the hiss of the fire going out, there's the contact with the water, and all those things like it's incredible to put that much detail into it. Because the way they've done it is not by creating sounds for specific interactions, but by creating a fully functioning physics world that then combines and layers the sounds to make them sound natural. 
and they as we're going to get into too they even do that with the music and it's it's not just the sounds of you know link moving through the world but it's literally overlaid in the layers of the music and the environmental effects that like influence and impact the music that you hear in the game yeah tell what you think as the one who's played the game the least <laughs> I've played the game the least, but I can definitely admire this game's sound design. And something that Scruffy uh, kind of like says off the bat is the intentionality mm. of the sound design. As as Brandon was getting into it, and as more importantly, Scruffy was getting into, with each sound, it feels so immersive and just feels natural to the environment like you're not when you're when you're in this game right if you just had the headphones on looking at the screen and was in the moment of it you're now in the world of that uh, of the game you're now you're blocking everything else you are with link on their journey more specifically as you're making them do their journey um but still it's it was absolutely brilliant and Scruffy, Scruffy, and this is going to sound weird because we usually talk about it in a writing context, but Scruffy's, not only his word choice, but his inflectuation with certain words and, and making sure that they were important to whatever, uh, whatever he was saying at the time, that was a big deal. And he did that in, in a, such a great fashion. And, and video essays are hard because you have to make someone pay attention with either your voice or word choice and combination of all of those things for i think his the video was 10 uh, close to 10 minutes long and to keep my attention the whole entire time they had to do it they had to do a job by that and he accomplished that yeah yeah that's that's the thing like the mechanics of making the video are just as impressive as the concept of the video because like i was talking about the animations and how they are just beautiful and in the background he plays like he plays his own music, he's a musician himself, and he plays remixed versions of the songs from the game. Like, he does a rendition of Cork Forest, it's really cool. And, um, yeah, like you were saying about his voice, how calm he is at all times, and how when he stresses something, it stands out. Like, that's just a natural thing that he can do, and it's just perfect for this type of video, where, like, the details of this thing are pretty hard to explain like i couldn't if i tried to explain to you on the podcast right now everything that he was explaining i could not do it like when he was talking about the field music and how the piano notes play at random intervals and they become desynchronized as the thing goes on like i couldn't explain to you how exactly that yeah works. like even even as ryan's explaining and he's making hand motions that <laughs> then like the listener of the podcast like isn't gonna even be able to see so like <laughs> the because I'm trying to think of like we, we need to describe how the music works in the game. And I think the fact that it's difficult to do that is an attribute to like how he's done so well with the video, like the difficulty of describing that, like just through audio compared to like how he fleshes it out in the video. But basically, like the way that music works in the game is that there are not there's not tracks to the game. There's not really songs that play. The music is sort of a conglomeration of things that are happening in the environment. So like, like Ryan said, and he, he demonstrates this in the video very well with um, actual like music theory, and he shows the sheet music and he pulls it apart. But like the Hyrule Field theme 
is a collection of like several different like piano progressions that then play at like random intervals sort of based on like what point the track starts from where you enter the field from where you leave town and then things slowly like layer over the field music like as you come into contact with enemies it doesn't a lot of games will then like completely replace a track with combat with a combat music track right but breath of the wild is so immersive because it you didn't like when you come in contact with enemies you don't leave the field you're still in the field so the field track still plays but then it gets layered in with combat annotations and keys and and he talks about how like there are little you know little chimes that come with a strike or even like the stronger the enemy is the more intense the combat music will combine with the Hyrule Field theme and then even because the Hyrule Field theme is like a randomized sort of progression you never really get the same combination multiple times it always stays engaging based on what's happening what time of day it is what's going on in the world yeah and another so the thing that really brings it all together in terms of invisible design like that's the thing that makes this video unique it's things that you're not meant to notice but he picks out anyway and one of those things like you're saying is brandon is the notes that play on the next appropriate beat when you hit an enemy never would notice that in a million years but he has the talent and the knowledge to pick that out. Another thing that he talks about is when there are actual tracks in the game, when you're in a village, and how each village or each town has a day theme and a night theme that transitions seamlessly into the next one. And he said something about how the the new the night theme doesn't play as soon as night hits. Like it's not like at seven o'clock it will hit and it'll start playing. There's a piece of music slipped in that will transition between the two themes and only when the song reaches that point. So it kind of does it on its own accord. And that kind of um, encapsulates the whole game for me. That's what Breath of the Wild is to me. It's doing things at your own pace and discovering at your own pace and just exploring. And that, that that's the idea that that communicates to me that kind of musical decision it's to give you these two songs that you can just rest in and then blend them together it's kind of how Hyrule is just this big world for you to explore that just has no cutscene no, no um loading screens or anything there's no barriers it all just blends into one big world you can see everything from any point and you can climb everything and go everywhere and, yeah, it's just the attitude that the game has is wrapped in that one decision with the music. And, like, that's what journalism is meant to do, right? That's what Scruffy has fulfilled his role as a journalist by giving us a detailed analysis on a piece of art and deepening your connection with it. Like, I already loved the game, but this made me love it, like, ten times more. Because these are things I would never have um, noticed myself. But the fact that they're there just makes me so happy. It definitely made me want to like play the game that I only have three hours registered into on my <laughs> Nintendo Switch. You have to. You have to. And I and I shall. And I shall. <laughs> yeah, and it's like 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 exactly like Ryan's talking about. Like the music fits with the theme of the game so well because it's not 
designed to be like it, it's designed to be an experience. It's designed to be a world. And it's not really designed to be like, okay, this is what's going on in the game. So here's the music that you hear. And then you move to another phase. Now here's the music that you hear. It's not meant to be taken in phases or in locations mm-hmm. or in experience. It's meant to just blend together seamlessly no matter what you're doing. Like walking from one corner of the massive map all the way to the other corner of the massive map, you're going to go through so many environments, so many people, see so many things, running, but it's all going to be a seamless experience. And like in the music, maybe even more so than in the visual experience. And also, like you said, with the, the village themes that transition with that little bridge piece of music, yeah. something else he points out that's super interesting is that since it's live instrumentation, that little bridge has to be played, right? So so he mentioned specifically like going from daytime to nighttime um, is like a tempo adjustment, like things slow down and kind of spread out. So if you had like in the old days, like on an 8-bit processor, you know, you would just change the tempo that the 8-bit chip, the music chip is playing the music and that would naturally slow it down. But since it's live instrumentation, they have to play specifically those sections of the music. It's once again this intent, the intentionality of everything that happens in this game, and that Scruffy explains to for everything to seem seamless, as the as matter of fact, invisible. Hmm. I would say <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it's so it's so intricate, and he explains how each intricacy just makes the whole entire world more real, and it and it gives a fresh breath of air to the whole entire series itself hence named breath of the wild honestly yeah um and i think it was just a a brilliant video essay yeah it's brilliant it's one of my favorite things i've ever seen on youtube and it's really hard to talk about because you just have to go watch it it's because he does such a good job of explaining it himself we can't do it justice (laughs) like it is that good so yeah, please go check that one out. Ryan, do you wanna do you wanna describe the whole mountaintop music thing? Oh, or, of or, or, do you, or do you want me to do it? <laughs> of course. So Cause that's that's like the ultimate like climax of his of his video experience with the sound design and the yeah. music in particular. Yeah, so um it's funny because he mentions high pass filters and low pass filters and that's what I worked with at uni. Uh, with like electrical signals and stuff so that's funny to see applied to this but um so there's a point so if you how do i explain this now so in the uh mountains in the game if you climb one of the mountains and go to the top not only will you get a korok seed because the game just nice and rewards you for climbing things but um (laughs) (laughs) if you he he said that he just sat there because he was trying to see the sunset um from the top of the mountain and at night, the um, game, the uh, weather is really, uh, I guess, misty, foggy, you know, very hard to see anything. But at 8 a.m. in the morning, it, the weather clears. And when you're there uh, during the night, you hear this theme, very slow uh, woodwind instrument theme with some piano thrown in. But at 8 a.m. on the dot, that, that sound that feels kind of muffled and um, kind of suppressed in a way suddenly just bursts into life. It's the same instruments, but 
But as the weather clears and at 8am and the morning hits, the full high end and low end of all the instruments can be heard fully. Because before he was putting it through a high pass filter, so only the highest notes could pass. So you'd only hear the highest notes. But then they removed it at 8am. So as soon as that time hits and the weather in front of you clears, you hear this full piano and this full flute working together and it's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing that you pointed out. I'm pretty sure I've never seen anyone point out anything like that in any video game. Yeah. Nothing that deep. It just shows the love that they put into this. And and, and what it is, is is it's just that whole feeling that makes the game feel breathing and alive. And the music especially yeah. just feels so alive because what's happening is you have like the theme for the mountain. Like there's there's a musical theme for the mountain. And then, you know, and that's playing. But then there's also when there's a blizzard or when there's mist, when some kind of weather comes in, the weather influences the theme for the environment. And in this particular instance, you have the theme for the mountain and then there's the blizzard, you know, there's the snowstorm and the snowstorm removes the lower tones. It puts a, what, what, what's the word for it? High pass filter. High pass filter. It puts a high pass filter on the mountain theme. So it removes the lower tones from the music so that you can hear, you know, the deeper sounds of like the rushing wind and the snow. And it, so it, it filters the movement, the music to pull that out. But then as the weather clears, you know, the storm goes away, the wind isn't blowing. It, it cues the music to remove that high pass filter. And so now you get the full richness of the music and it combines that with the experience of literally being Link standing on top of this mountain and all of a sudden this majestic, like you can't see shit because it's all foggy and it's all blizzardy. And then as literally as the scenery clears, like the snow goes away, the mist goes away and you get this grand, amazing, beautiful expanse of Hyrule that like pans out in front of you. And simultaneously to go with that, the music pulls back those that high tone filter and the full richness of the music comes in. So it's, it's a like something that in other games could be done very intentionally, right? Like, Oh, the character is walking up to this big scenery moment. Like, okay, cue big scenery music. But the way that this works so well in breath of the wild is because that's just one grand instance of how that musical layering works, but it happens in every other point, you know, the Hyrule field theme, if it starts raining, the rain is going to influence the same theme that's in the music to bring you a different feeling that feels like it's raining. And all of that is just musical layering that has to do with the immersion of being in the game. Yeah, we should move on to the next one. But last uh, little thing, Mr. Anuma, if you're listening to this, just give us something about the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> something like <laughs> Five second trailer, I will die happy. Something, please. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for the sequel. Right, and Tyler, you. once again, oh, you're good. You're good. It you're, and that is invisible sound design and Breath of the Wild by Scruffy. Please check his video out on YouTube. For our last piece of the day, we have Granite Hill. Yep. 
So the only thing I regret about the Breath of the Wild sound design, just one last point, is that <laughs> they're you, they can't they won't be able to make they won't be able to make trap remixes of the Breath of the Wild music <laughs> like they have all the other Zelda uh, Zelda soundtracks. Those That's those a, Gerudo Valley know, trap remixes go so hard at a festival, or the the <laughs> Temple of Time remixes, man, they go so hard, and I, you can't do that with Breath of the Wild because there's not like individual distinct tracks it's so much more of a breathing living soundscape i don't know man you can like make you can make fire slap a torch a torch sound can like i want to see um i want to see drums (laughs) but all right yeah okay on on to our last piece um so my piece is gotta scroll back to the top uh persona persona 5 review how soji maguro changed game music with the human voice and obviously it's about persona 5 which is, for full context, I have not played actually Persona 5. I've been playing Persona 5 Strikers. What? I'm playing Persona 5 Strikers because it's on Switch. Persona, which initially I bought Persona 5 Strikers because I thought they were the same thing. I thought it was like a Switch port of the game. So, yeah. So, guys, <laughs> but... if, if you thought that we were going to move away from Nintendo, no. <laughs> it's still Nintendo based in a way. So, okay, to set up. This article, before I get into the article, I've got to set up the aesthetic of the game. Because when it comes to, like, Persona 5, the aesthetic is everything. And it's everything in the music, and it's, it's everything in playing the game, experiencing the game, the immersion. The, it's aesthetic. As, um, I don't think I called out the writer. As uh, Isaac Schutz says in the story, stylish is the number one word used to describe this game. Because every... Every single aspect of it is just, like, so stylish and aesthetic-based. And it really starts in the music. It, it's, it takes place this, like, angsty, like, teenager in Japan. And they bring in this, what, uh, what the writer points out, like, the, one of the main differences is how successfully that vocals are used in the music of Persona 5. And which contrasts directly sort of with what we were talking about with Breath of the Wild, how Breath of the Wild is this very, like, adaptive soundtrack, this very, like, it's meant to live and breathe with the game, but Persona 5 brings in these jazz-inspired tracks that then, like, burst into pop music. So where most, most games view vocals as sort of a distracting aspect of music, Persona 5 embraces energetic vocals that make you feel like you're sort of playing a cinematic. Um, and it, similar to Breath of the Wild, though, the recurring themes throughout the game, because for this game has a 110 song long original soundtrack, which is just yes. insane of its own accord. But a lot of these songs you hear over and over throughout the game, because, you know, as he says, it's a 100 hour long game. If you're going to be playing a game for 100 hours, you need like for music to not get old or tired, like there has to be something in it, right? There has to be some kind of spirit to it. And part of it is the way that the music works so well with the game, even using the vocals. Because one of the problems you would run into with games using like heavily like vocal music is that, especially with pop, like pop music or, you know, pop culture music, like it would be great to bring a bunch of popular songs into a game but the content of the song isn't always going to line up with how the game is being played. 
for example, you know, you look at uh, one of the games that's done that successfully is Grand Theft Auto. And the way that Grand Theft Auto has brought pop music into the game is through radio stations, which is a part of the world. So it makes sense that the music that you're hearing on the radio doesn't line up with exactly what's going on in the game because it's on a radio. But Persona 5 is bringing their own original like pop soundtracks, pop music that's very heavily jazz inspired. They're bringing this into the game as the soundtrack, like as a cinematic. So it's not a present force in the game. It's there for the person playing the game, but it works so well with the visual aesthetic of the game. If you have an hour or a hundred hour long game, you really got to like bring that closing moment together, right? If, if, if I've been playing a game for a hundred hours and it suddenly just kind of stops or you, you beat it, like it, that's so anticlimactic. But they use the same theme that they've used throughout every final run-up, and then they bring in the vocals, and it creates, like, a punch feeling, like, a really, like, energetic, like, okay, like, this is it, like, this is the moment feeling. And so much of the game is, like, wrapped into that aesthetic. It's, I, I think uh, Isaac did a really good job on just the mission statement or almost, like, the big theme behind the soundtrack and the music of Persona 5, and that... It's stylish. It is is emphasis on style and how it not only elevates the game, but also changes the whole entire, uh, the the series itself, the Persona series, how Persona 4 first brought the jazz elements, but then the vocal jazz elements brought, introduced in 5, what elevates that. And it's, he was basically, he was basically said, this soundtrack has drip. (laughs) This soundtrack has sauce. This soundtrack is tight, and this soundtrack has class um, with the jazz. Didn't mean to rhyme that, but I did. <laughs> um, but, but most importantly, I think what was really big about the, the way he talked about the music and the jazz elements and, uh, introduced into the game for Persona 5 is that it almost goes hand-in-hand hand with the theme behind the game. That the fact that these have these teenage these rebellious teenagers changing hearts, changing the themes of people, jazz is a wonderful metaphor for that. And that jazz was um, is a genre that, especially originally in its composition, where it would where its whole entire thing is about changing composition mid performance or mid thing. So the fact that you have the theme of teenagers changing people through a course of action, you had also the music changing chords. Or a genre that was literally changing course, and that's how it's got its name, um, and, how, and how it got its namesake, anyway. And I think uh, Isaac just did a brilliant job fusing, um, going from history to fusion to how Persona Five just absolutely kills and correlates its themes so well. Yeah, yeah. And another thing he did really well, Isaac, is that he used a lot of emotive language in the piece, and that essentially reflects the decision to move away from the instrumental soundtrack for the game and having an actual person's vocals on there makes the emotion real, right? It ensures that emotion is communicated explicitly, which is like, is an interesting jump for video games, right? It's usually um, trying to make you associate an emotion with a place. Like if it's a water level, you want it to be kind of like dreary, but here you have an actual human voice and words that can essentially lay out everything that you need to know 
straight away. And I feel like that that kind of fits the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not like heavy handed, because that sounds negative. But <laughs> Persona has like a very out there mm-hmm. style, right? A very in your face style. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, kind even of... even in the game menus, in your face is yeah. a good way to put it. Even in the game menus, like when you click start, it doesn't just like pull up a menu. It's like bop, like menu, and then you go to your you go to your equipment, and the whole thing like slides and your teammate and you do a little like somersault up against the wall and like throughout all that like the music matches like the texture of it um yeah okay i don't know if like should give this out to uh you know corporations or whatever but the 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 (laughs) shop the shop in persona 5 i could sit there and spend money all day in persona 5 because the music is so catchy the coloration is so good the aesthetic of it, the style of it, like the sound of it, it, it is, it's, I've never played a game where it's so satisfying to buy like 20 potions, like more than you need, like, because everything about it is just so inviting. And if they, mm-hmm. if they change like the Amazon style to match the Persona 5 shop style, it would be over. <laughs> Jeff Bezos would win. <laughs> oh man. But, like, this piece actually made me think a lot about um, Tyler's piece and how uh, this kind of OST can fit into the history of video game music. So you don't hear vocals on old video games because, as we said earlier, there's no space for that. You have three notes you can play, you know? So, <laughs> and I feel like that's kind of a, tr- a tradition that video games carried on with, right? It's like instrumental backgrounds just became the default essentially um so yeah i started thinking about games that used heavy vocals in the ost and i couldn't think of many mainly because like my video game knowledge isn't like crazy expansive like a lot of people's but the only things i could think of were i think sonic heroes sonic heroes had a lot of um um songs with vocals on them but the main sonic heroes theme is really catchy <laughs> Sonic Sonic has actually had a pretty nice tradition of doing that. I remember when yeah, you yeah. said that, I had like a fever dream flashback also to Sonic Adventure Battle 2, the same game with that Knuckles <laughs> right. theme. The very first level of it, Sonic is like skateboarding through the city, being chased yeah. by like a military truck, and the song is literally called Escape from the City, and now that's going to be stuck in my head for the rest of the day. <laughs> but it, it's in the same game. way that it uses like... Because a lot of times vocals in a game would be applied to something that's like cinematic and even yeah. even in the situation with that sonic game the experience is very straightforward you're sonic snowboarding through a city escaping from the city escape from the city plays the soundtrack is always going to match the action going on in the game mm-hmm. but in persona there are so many different types of actions that can be taken in the game um, like as he mentions like you literally can just live the life of a Japanese high schooler studying for exams, hanging out with friends, going to the coffee shop, going to the restaurant. There's such a variety of actions that can be taken that there needs to be a 110 song original soundtrack <laughs> to match each song to the environment that's being experienced and that's being fe- uh, that's going on in the game. And also, just like Breath of the Wild, it's very seamless. There's not yeah. like hard starts and stops to songs, really. I mean, there is... Like, one track goes to the next track. But all of them so very much, like, fit the aesthetic that it's very natural when the shifts happen, even visually. Like, as the visual shifts, the music shifts to go with the visual. 
Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And, like, the fact that it's all pop songs, like, that makes sense. It's about a group of teenagers. Like, <laughs> it just fits with the world of the game. Like, the fact that it's... Yeah, everything just seems like... It wants to throw everything at you at once. And it fit. Yeah, it just fits perfectly. Um, yeah, the use of vocals is just so interesting. Like, I'm really excited to play the game because I think that's just so... Like, it's just so different to anything I've really experienced in games. Like, because I feel like that tradition stuck because where do the developers want your focus to be? Across great songs would be great, but at the end of the day, is that a distraction from the main story? Is it a distraction, like, especially for, I guess, fast-paced, like, platformers, which I tend to play quite a lot, is, like, is a, like, general pop songs being in the background going to fit? You know, so I, I've always a really interesting way to set up a game. I'm sure it's been done before. I'm just like not knowledgeable enough, but still, um, yeah. But I also think like the, it's funny because when I think of vocals in a video game, the two things that came to mind were Sonic Heroes and Super, New Super Mario Bros. DS. You know, and you had those bat bats in the background, and like the 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 Goombas would like sing along to it. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first thing that came to mind. So I just thought it was funny. I've noticed too, even in Persona 5, sometimes the characters will like hum along to the music, which is like a really funny, like almost fourth wall breaking thing. Yeah, yeah. Because like I said, like not not like in GTA, like in GTA, the music is literally playing on the radio. That's not oh, what's yeah, happening yeah. in the game. The game music is there for the player of the game. But like, but still like every once in a while, they'll hum along to it and you'll catch yourself because you know you were humming along to it too. <laughs> or like literally, like even when I, when I play the game, like it's so much like not even just about the gameplay like it's not like oh i want to go play persona 5 because i'm like really excited to run around and do the hack and slash gameplay that's in the strikers game which is good it's fun gameplay but it's like i want to play persona 5 for the whole thing like i want to sit there and i want to listen to the music and sort of like bop my head while i'm like assigning my skill points and whatever like it's it's the whole thing to it and what you said about like how it's trying to hit you with everything at once is like a real like a nice way to describe it because you even like that's even in the identity of the music because there's like in strikers the gang of kids is like traveling japan in an rv but the rv is interior designed to be themed like a 60s diner so it's like got bar stools and like checkered floors and everything and like even that aesthetic is so they so they they, they try to take the 60s diner aesthetic, and they're like, okay, now how can I blend this with 70s American funk and 70s jazz mixed with the 80s and 90s Japanese <laughs> spin on the 70s and 80s American funk, all while making it fit this 60s diner theme, and then do different variations of that same track if it's noon, if it's evening, if it's night, if it's morning, because each time these themes also sort of like in Breath of the Wild, how they change throughout the day, the themes change depending on what's going on. And since it's live instrumentation, you know, they didn't just speed it up or slow it down or, you know, pop another digital layer in there. They literally replay the music. And it, it's so close to the original theme that you recognize it and you get the like the pace with the original theme, but then also like whatever touch that they've adjusted it to reflect what's happening then reflects that same feeling because you settle into the familiarity of the theme and then adapt to the twist that they put on it. 
it was just style. It, 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 it was just great stylish music that I think that I really enjoy. And then he broke it down very simply on like why it's important for the and for particular for particularly this game in the series. Yeah, and I thought it was funny that um, it was jazz influenced, just like the first video game music of the eighties in Japan. I thought that was a really cool, nice full circle moment. It so. all comes back around, man. It all comes back around. It all comes back around. <laughs> yeah, there was definitely some... I Because I started playing the game after we did the last podcast episode on, like, Japanese city pop. So, and I really was, like, enjoying, like, how much I actually liked the city pop. I had, like, been listening to that. And then I played Persona, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, this is so... Because it's it's in that same vein where it's trying to capture that feeling. And it's Japanese music that comes from the inspiration of that 70s and 80s American funk. So it, it is in the same vein as City Pop, which made it, like, perfect timing for the game to come out uh, right after we had done that City Pop episode. Cool. Hey, Let me see. Any ending statements? Not for me. Shout out Dark Souls music. Just got to get that off off my chest. I didn't think, say anything about the music of Dark Souls. <laughs> Those games. Dark Souls. Man. Dark Souls music is depressing. It is depressing. Music. Just going to make my one point on it. The whole so the whole game, there's no music. There is no soundtrack to a majority of the game. The music only soundtracks the boss fights. And part of that makes adventuring through the game feel very isolated, very lonely, very disconnected. It reflects the state of the world. And then when you get these boss fights, this big grand orchestral music comes in to mm-hmm. annotate like how these bosses that you're fighting were once literally like gods or they were kings and emperors and and they so they bring in these grand orchestral compositions that then will like threaten you with like the power and like ambiance of the boss that you're fighting that's it that's my one dark souls point we did the video game episode i, I had to get it off <laughs> it's still depressing it's still really depressing music especially when you die it's even it's even especially more depressing you if you actually go into it and learn about like the stories behind the characters it it only gets more depressing. It's not just a. That's not then. It's at that point. It's not depressing. That's you're just you're just in depression. You are now depression. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's lift the mood and talk about Wii Sports music, shall we? Sports music. <laughs> hey, Tyler's article mentioned, uh, or some, or was that something else I read? Somebody's article Wii, mentioned no, the Wii menu. The um, yeah. no, it, it was mine. Do, yeah. Do, 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 do. <laughs> oh yeah. The perfect comp- um, composition, man. Perfect composition. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there's any intersections between like 8-bit video game music composers and like commercial jingle composers because they're working yeah. with very similar materials, very similar like you know what you have to make extremely simple, catchy, not annoying sounds like that can loop. That's interesting. Uh, that's a good point. That is really Which hopefully we can do a part two for this, and we gotta do a piece on Central Source, man. I think there's be there's an interesting piece somewhere in there with like the Central Source kind of philosophy about the video game music. I think that's something we can do, at least an interview or something. Yeah, and I've, I've and I've been reading and listening to so much about like specifically like the Japanese funk and pop influences, mm. and like, Japan. You know, the uh, Japan really drove a lot, drives a lot of the traditions in video games including music like we were talking yeah. about like with nintendo and that 8-bit a lot of that so like honestly if you think about it a lot of traditional like things that are done traditionally in video game music 
are done that way because that's how they were done in Japan. So, you know, Japanese culture, even if America is now, you know, putting out a lot of these AAA games and these big, huge corporations behind these games, a lot of what the consumers want is still encouraged and inspired by the Japanese culture that encouraged and inspired the original video game soundtracks. Yeah, true. Jap- Japan has my favorite games. Just talk about Nintendo, for like, I don't know. So. <laughs> we're gonna, we're this, this is a Nintendo podcast. <laughs> this is a Nintendo podcast. But um, <laughs> uh, I'm interested to know. I'd love to, I'd love to ask like um, composers back then who were making video game music if they had the technology of today back then. What would they do? Ooh. I think that'd be super interesting. Oh. You could probably find a few examples of people who are still in the industry from back then. Right, right. But Especially I mean, like, when it comes to for like the, Nintendo. For the games back then, I mean. Like, oh. Like, scoring the first Super Mario Bros. Like, what do they have in mind versus what could they do with the compression they needed to do? Like, you think they would have put a big dramatic, like, orchestral soundtrack behind I Super don't Mario? Know. That's the thing. <laughs> I'm interested. Like, could, could yeah. it have just been like. What was going on? Could it have just been like an LL Cool J song? Like, it's yeah, it's like what what did you what was the initial idea? Like, what did you start with, and then yeah. and then what did you move to as you realized the mechanical limitations of it? <laughs> wait, wait. And I just, when he mentioned LL Cool J, I had to, well, I have to get this off. It's I now saw Mario singing Headsprung <laughs> in the most. Crazy club scene with Luigi, like with dancing lights. That's, that's all I gotta say. Because I, I, what the hell? I'm confident that that video probably exists somewhere on the internet. I'm sure in some corner of the internet. But someone do it, please. Also, I want to know the difference between console video game music and computer video game music, because early mm. computer games mm. wouldn't have had the limitations that the processing the the chips. And cartridges yeah. had so did early computer games bring in you know more inspired music by the 8-bit thing or mm. did they try to do their own thing and take advantage of the processing power on a computer yeah that's interesting especially because you had like a similar thing going on with handhelds and consoles because in um say pokemon um red and blue released 1999 right 25 i can't do math right now 996 yeah, and around that time, uh, Mario 64 and Ocarina of Time come out. And think about just the aesthetic of the two sounds, right? And now what a jump that is. So there must be another jump to PC at that same time. That, that is interesting. Yeah, because yeah, there's definitely, in a handheld game, even today, like even with modern technology, yeah. a handheld game with huge, grand soundtracks would feel weird like a handheld game you think of well, like the 8-bit inspired soundtracks or the more the more uh, the nintendo sounds like that yeah well that's why it's so crazy that the switch exists because uh, sorry to go to nintendo like yeah because it's I promise a we, can, we can criticize it sometimes <laughs> they're a massive corporation but um <laughs> it's crazy that we can play something like um mario galaxy just on a handheld now that's a full orchestral score mm-hmm. on a handheld that's crazy so, like, the technology is just going to crazy places and, like, yeah. Just thinking about the history of the whole thing that we've been talking about. Just amazing how far, how far it's gone. Even though it has been 40 years, still. It's impressive. Watch High, watch high Score on Netflix. That's the best documentary on video, his, video game history I've ever watched. Really good. Most of what I know about video game history is on, like, Scott the Wars videos. 
but he's great. He's hilarious, but he's also an amazing journalist. So check out, shout out Scott the Waz. Shout out Scott the Waz. Shout out. Okay. Yeah, that, d- so that does with it. That, I was like, with that being said, we just went recapping our wonderful journalists and articles. We had Video Game Music, A World to Escape To by Dylan Yono for Michigan Daily. We had Invisible Sound Design and Breath of the Wild by Scruffy, found on YouTube. And Persona 5 Review, How Shoji Meguro Changed Game Music with the Human Voice by Isaac Schutz for Medium. Yep, and as always, if you are a small writer or if you are reading some small writers somewhere and you like their stuff, uh, we would love to feature some of that on the podcast. So send us stuff you're reading, send us writers, uh, send us your own stuff. We'll at least check it out. Um, But we definitely want to branch out and feature more small writers and publications that we might not even be aware of. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, one last time, register for SourceFest. It's going to be amazing. We've got some great artists. Um, Yeah, shout out to all the artists that have decided to do it. So Because we're really lucky to have those as well. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone who comes, we really appreciate it. And if you um, RSVP with your address, we will set the first hundred people to do that. We'll get a free SourceFest 1.0 wristband. So yeah, get on that too. And you never know that might trade for a billion dollars as some kind of vintage collectible, like twenty years from now. So get on that and don't miss the opportunity. <laughs> I'm not saying that guys. it will. I'm just saying that it might. Hey, it, hey, it, we're helping them break out of the algorithm, man. It's yeah. gonna be it's gonna be the thing. Yep. Until we become the algorithm ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> no. Not Skynet. <laughs> so snap. Alright, thanks so for listening, good. everybody. Thanks everyone. Thank you. This episode of In Search of Source featured Ryan Gore, Brandon Hill, and Tyler Jones of the Central Source Craft Collective. The episode is edited by me, Charlie Taylor of the Fifth and Podcast Network. Music for the show is fucked up by Basti. Place the chill records for the ability to use. This has been a Central Source and Fifth Element Podcast Network production. Thanks for Basti, chill records, Central Source, Fifth Element, and content covered in this episode can all be found in the full show notes below. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you next time as we continue our search for Source. <laughs>